Good to be with you this morning. Super encouraged by Billy and Van as well. I don't know if Brandon mentioned that here, but how awesome to have them serving through our music team. This is cool stuff. Oh my goodness. Our music stands are crazy around here. It's like they're the most difficult things to work with. Um, we're going to wrap up today with our sermon series, Commission. Uh, we have been looking mainly at the Great Commission because we are talking about a critical topic, which is making disciples, right? So, for those of you who have been with us, we have looked at what is a disciple, what is discipleship, what is disciple making. We spent the first week of our series doing that. The second week we looked at why is this important? When we were singing over at the Denver building, Mary told me, this is why discipleship is important when we were singing the song, Graves in the Gardens. Because only Jesus can turn graves into gardens. Only he can turn bones into armies, right? Only he can bring salvation to an individual. Um, and so this is why this is such an important topic. Um, this morning, last Sunday, we started talking about, well, how do we go about making disciples? We've covered the what and the why. How do we actually do it? Last Sunday I said making disciples requires three things. Vision, commitment, and grace. We need a vision for disciple making. Jesus and how he worked with the twelve. He is the vision. We need commitment because you just don't grow at stuff that you're not committed to growing at. Right? We need to put forth effort. But effort alone isn't sufficient enough to really be a disciple-making disciple. We need God's grace to empower us to do what we can't do on our own. This morning, I'd like to add a couple things to those three things. Actually, I want to add three things to those three things. Um, we're going to discover this morning that making disciples also requires choosing wisely, an invitation, and a relational environment of support and challenge. So, let me read to you our scripture passage, which is Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him, going on from there. He saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So let's look at making disciples requires us to choose wisely. If you were to read Luke 6, 12 through 16, you would find Jesus praying all night before he chose his disciples. Jesus knew that he had three short years to train a group of men that would take on his mission, carry it on. And so Jesus knew that he had to choose wisely. And so in true Jesus fashion, he spends the night praying to God the Father, praying to God the Holy Spirit to reveal to him who these men need to be. Like Jesus, we only have so much time, right? The Bible repeatedly tells us that our life is so brief. Psalm 144.4 says, Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. 
Um, just this past Friday, we surprised our boys by taking them out of school. Mary took a personal day, and we went um, down to the cabin. My dad and his longtime hunting buddies, they have 150 acres of land down in Noble County, Coldwell. And uh, we, they built a cabin just a few years ago. So we went down there to hike and we got to shoot guns. And it was fun. An AR-15 and a 16, you know, 16 gauge shotgun. You should have saw Mary shooting these guns. I, I should have showed a clip. It was hilarious. I think she liked it a little too much. That power that's in your hands. Um, Isaiah, of course, loved it. So it was great. And down there at the property, we saw one of my dad's longtime friends has known this guy since he was in elementary school, Steve. I have not seen Steve in 20 years. He looked at me and he asked, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 40. And he said, I'm going to turn 70 this year. And it was that moment, and we all have those moments where it just hits us, that time flies by. Life is short. And so... Our life is short, and if you add to the brevity of life with the responsibilities that we have of like going to work and keeping up a house, the amount of time that we have to actually make disciples is further reduced. It's so small. And so, if we're going to make that small time that we have count, let's choose wisely. How do we choose wisely who we're going to disciple? We do it the same way that Jesus did. Right? We go to God the Father, we go to God the Holy Spirit, we go to God the Son, and we say, reveal to us who we need to invest that really small amount of time that we have in. Reveal that to us. And we're constantly listening prayerfully as we intake God's Word and as we talk to God. Right? Now, let's say you feel that God has revealed a person or a group of people that you are to invest in through a discipling relationship, how can you like, be affirmed that that's actually the case? Here's how. You're looking for fat people. Fat people. I, yeah, I said that. And it's, it, if you weren't listening, now you're listening. Like, what? Fat people. We're looking for people that are faithful, available, and teachable. Right? Look, it really goes without saying, but I, I guess I feel like I should say it. If a person is not available, if they're too distracted by the cares of this world, if they're not willing to say no to some things, even if they're good things, to say yes to being discipled, you can't disciple them. They're not available. Right? Secondly, they need to be faithful. Um, you need to invest in people that are going to show up to the meetings. They're not going to be flaky. They're not going to cancel last minute. They're going to be committed to your time together. They're going to come prepared. They're going to come engaged, fully present. And then you also need people that are teachable. You can have people that are available and faithful. But if they're not teachable, how are they possibly going to be able to learn all that Jesus commanded? <laughs> how are they going to be taught? How do you know if a person is teachable? Let me offer you these four things. They are willing to have their lifestyle challenged. And when it's proved that their lifestyle is out of whack 
with Jesus and his ways, they're willing to make adjustments. That's a teachable person. Secondly, they're willing to be honest and transparent about their sin, their flaws, their shortcomings. Thirdly, they're willing to try new things that at first are surely going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. Learning always involves that. Because if you didn't feel awkward and uncomfortable, you wouldn't need to learn to do it because you can just do it. To learn to do something, it always feels weird at first. Fourthly, they're willing to be held accountable to making the changes that God is revealing to them that they need to make. That's a teachable person. These, the faithful, available, teachable people are the ones that we need to invest in. Trying, and I've tried this, trying to disciple people that aren't willing to be faithful, available, and teachable is like trying to herd cats. You put forth a ton of energy, and there's no fruit. You're working five times more, harder than they're working. And here's the kicker, and this is something we have to realize, because I know if you're like my wife, she, she, has, she is such a heart of gold and mercy that she just is so inclusive of everybody. She doesn't want to tell anybody no. But this is what I think Mary and all of us and myself need to understand. If you keep trying to disciple people that aren't fat in the best way, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? You are taking time that you could be investing in people that are ready for discipleship and you're not giving it to those people. This is a costly mistake. Our life is short. We can't make this mistake. <laughs> right? All right. And you're not ditching those other people that aren't faithful and available and teachable because anytime they become faithful, available, and teachable, let's go. But until then, it's not going to work. <clears throat> It's just one. All right, secondly, making disciples requires an invitation. So if you look at our passage, Matthew 4, 19, you, you, you see Jesus giving the 12 an invitation. Well, at this point, it was a few of them. It wasn't all 12 at once, but he extended an invitation. And this was the invitation, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Are we to use the exact same words that Jesus used to extend invitation into, you know, a discipleship relationship with us? I think these, what Matthew's doing is he's just describing what Jesus did. He's not using it to be prescriptive. However, because if you use those words, nobody's going to know what you're talking about. They'll be like, I'm not following you because you're crazy, right? <laughs> so... I do think, though, that there are principles that we can glean from Jesus' invitation that we would do well to include in ours. Let me mention just several. Our invitation to other people to enter into a discipleship, discipleship relationship with us should clearly and concisely define the purpose. The disciples would have known, because of their Jewish context, that when Jesus said, follow me, he was inviting them into a discipleship relationship. This was common in, in, in the Jewish context. Rabbi has his disciples. So when we extend an invitation to enter, enter into a disciple relationship with us, 
we need to tell them, like, look, the purpose of this relationship or this group is we're going to be with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like him. It needs to include something like that, right? Secondly, our invitation should clearly and concisely define the length of commitment. Jesus' disciples would have known he wasn't asking for a short-term commitment. They knew what it was like to be discipled by a rabbi. It it was not a short-term thing. We need to be able to communicate to our people what we're talking about here. Are we talking about meeting weekly for a period of a year? Are we talking about meeting bi-weekly for a period of two years? Whatever it is, we need to communicate it. By the way, my experience has been if you meet with the person that you're discipling less than once every two weeks, it just doesn't work. At least it hasn't for me. It's too infrequent to really gain traction. Thirdly, we need to clearly and concisely define the quality of commitment we are asking from them. And what I mean by this is essentially we're going to ask them to be fat. I'm expecting you to be faithful, available, and teachable. If you can't be, that's okay. Just don't come and be a part of it. We also need to say what the intended results of our time together will be. Jesus said, look, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus was telling these people, come be with me, and I am trusting that you are going to be transformed, and you're going to be able to do what I'm doing with you with other people. And so when we extend an invitation to people to come be discipled by us, up front, we need to tell them, like, look, the purpose of this is you're going to be able to do what I'm doing with you with at least somebody else, one other person. That's the expectation. Those are the intended results. And I'm trusting that in our time together, God will make you, he will transform you from the inside out, right? Thirdly, so third point of the sermon here. So we need to choose wisely. We need to extend a, a clear and concise invitation that includes those four things I just mentioned. Uh, and now... We need to make sure that when we are making disciples, we're actually working with the people that God has revealed to us, we create a relational environment of support and challenge. If you study the way that Jesus interacted with his disciples in the Gospels, you will see all kinds of evidence that Jesus extended support to them. Right after, I mean, almost immediately after he called his disciples, we find Jesus in Matthew 5 doing what? Telling them the Beatitudes. Those are the most supportive, encouragement things that they could have heard. Because in the Beatitudes, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, like, look, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, I am your king, you're living in my kingdom, and therefore you will be blessed. Talk about support and encouragement. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus tells the disciples, they want to know from Jesus, how do we pray like you? And Jesus teaches them to start their prayer with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's teaching them, God is, although he's transcendent and he's big, he is personally engaged in your life as a good, loving father is. Talk about support and encouragement. And he teaches them in the prayer to pray, you know, Lord, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He's telling them, look at who, look at whose side you're on. 
This is, this is support and encouragement. If you look at Matthew 6, and Jesus is teaching there in verses 30 and 30, through 33, he's, he's telling his disciples why they shouldn't worry. Don't live a life of worry because you have a Father in heaven who values you more than the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, and they don't toil or spin, and they have everything they need. Surely he's going to take care of your needs. Aren't you more valuable than they? Support, encouragement. I could go on and on with that. The point is, Jesus was making it known to his disciples that, hey, your heavenly Father and I, we've got you. We are fully with you. We are behind you 100%. Your success is our top priority. The people that you're discipling, they need that kind of support and encouragement. I am with you in this. Following Jesus isn't easy, but we're doing it together. Your success in Christ is my top priority. As Jesus laid down his life for the sheep and is the good shepherd, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Man, this is what it's about. Disciples don't only need uh, support, they also need challenge. Most Christians that I've come in contact with are horrible at this. Either they do it really poorly and they're jerks, or they just don't do it because they're cowards. Let's just be real. Right? So, how did Jesus extend challenge to the people that he was discipling? Well, Two ways. First way I want to mention is that Jesus challenged his disciples by confronting their faulty beliefs, attitudes, and behavior. Um, a classic example of this is Matthew 16. Jesus started teaching his disciples, look, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to come back to life. Right? And this upset Peter, and I'm sure it upset the rest of the disciples because their view of, of a Messiah was not the view of a suffering Messiah. Um, and so Jesus is rebuked by Peter, and then Jesus tells Peter this. <laughs> Matthew 16, 23, get behind me, Satan. If that's not a low point, Jesus calling you Satan, I don't know what it is, right? You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Ouch. Those words had to sting. But here's the thing. Jesus' words, as he's confronting their faulty beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors, they are not the sting of a scorpion that seeks to kill. They are the sting of a loving father that seeks to heal. And then, you can read these examples on your own time, but if you look at how Jesus challenged the attitudes and behaviors of like James, John, and their mama, they're obviously mama's boys. I was, I'm a mama's boy, too. Isaiah is especially a mama's boy. But they come, the mom's with, with her sons. Hey, Jesus, I want them to have the two greatest positions in your kingdom. Look at what Jesus tells the three of them. Check it out. You can check it out. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. How about Jesus' words to James and John in Luke 9, 51 through 56? They wanted to, like, have, they were... They are asking Jesus, should we ask for fire to rain down in this Samaritan village that has rejected you? Check out Jesus' words to them. How about Jesus' words to Peter, James, and John? They kept falling asleep. 
Here is a problem with our American culture. Our American culture tells all of us that you just need to be accepted the way you are. You're great. If anybody tells you otherwise, get rid of them. That's mean. Nobody should tell you what's right for you and how to live. And um, They're an enemy. They're evil if they do that. Here's what's evil. This is evil. Love is seeking the highest good of another person, right? Therefore, it is evil when you are watching a person you love walk on the path of destruction and you do nothing about it. You don't challenge them. That's evil. We need to be able to do this as disciple makers. Love supports but it also challenges. Um, secondly, the other way that Jesus challenged his disciples, so in addition to challenging their beliefs and attitudes and behaviors, is he gave them challenges to complete, tasks to complete. If you look at Luke 9, he sends out his 12 on mission to do what he's been teaching them to do. If you look at Luke 10, he did the same with the set with 70 of his disciples. Jesus' mode of discipling his disciples was not merely classroom instruction, information exchange. That's how we do it. And that's why it's not working in the church in America now. We're all about a transfer of information. That's what we do. Come sit and listen to Pastor Shane talk. Information exchange. That's important. It's not sufficient enough. So, um, we need to actually have tasks for our people to complete. Disciples grow in the soil of challenge and support. Um, what might this look now? Look like now in 2021? Let me give you two examples of what it might look like to extend support and challenge uh, to people we disciple. So this past week, I'm a part of a leadership group, and essentially what's happening is we're being discipled by the leader of this group, who's a fantastic you know, individual. And one man in my group, I would describe him as a rich young ruler. Good looking, wealthy, was reached just about as much success as you possibly can in career, family, kids, you know, seems to have it all based on what the world would define all. Um, what was interesting is during our discussion this past week, he was coming to the realization that everything he had worked for, that he was, it was all because he was seeking to provide his family with a certain quality of life. And he started expressing the fact that he didn't know if it was really all worth it. And the reason he said is he's coming to the realization that maybe his family doesn't want the stuff that he can provide, but they want him. Wow. That's powerful. They want him. They want his attention. They want him to be mindfully present when, when he's with them. And not on the new house they're building, not on the properties he owns that he's flipping and selling. They want him. Now, what did the leader of this group do? Did he say, oh, it's okay, you know, we're all just trying to do the best we can? No. Because love doesn't do that. The leader loved this man by saying, 
empathize with him. Like, yeah, this is tough. And, and affirmed his desire to want to provide for his family. That's good. But he, then he challenged him. And he said, look, you have so many demands on your life that you're bound to, sh- to cheat something. He said, don't make it your wife and your kids. And he was referencing a book that Andy Stanley wrote, and I forget what it's called. But, and then he gave this illustration that I think came from that book. He said, look, your wife and kids, imagine that they're carrying a 30-pound boulder, and they're willing to carry that boulder for a season because they love you. But if you ask them to carry that boulder for a prolonged period of time, guess what? It's going to drop. And when it drops, you are going to think that, oh my goodness, this just happened all of a sudden. What's going on? When in reality, it had been brewing for years. And when that boulder drops, it may be your wife saying, hey, I'm done with you. I'm leaving you. It could be your kids that just really could care less to have a relationship with you because they never had one, a real one. But the boulder will drop. Don't make your wife and kids carry that boulder And you know what? This man received it. Because in that group, there's a culture of support and challenge. So he received it. And I think he'll make changes. Let me give you one more example. So that's more of confronting a person's beliefs, attitudes, behavior. What about using challenge to, you know, by, hey, you need to complete this challenge, this task that I have a task for you to complete. This isn't exactly a discipleship relationship, but at our last City Serve team meeting, I think it's still a good example, um, I've challenged all the, bo- all the people on the team to read the book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. It's a great title. So at our last meeting, we came and we had great discussion on the first two chapters. But discussion alone doesn't transform us. Can you imagine, I had this picture when I was preparing the sermon. Can you imagine Jesus walking in this room and just like, so how are you guys doing in discipleship to me? And we were just like, Jesus, we've had so many awesome discussions. <laughs> this person asked this great question and this person had this sweet insight. And man, we were just, you know, we were just flowing. Great conversation. Jesus would be pleased by that? No. This is why Bob Goff says we need less Bible study and more Bible doing. Obviously, Bible study is extremely important, so that's not what he meant. So what did I do with the City Serve team? I said, look, we just read about sharing the gospel. Go do it. Find somebody to share what we learned in these first two chapters. Come back and we'll talk about it. Let's process it. That's how we learn. Right? Our discipleship needs to include both support and challenge. All right, let's wrap this up here, this whole series, with these questions. What is a disciple? A disciple is a person who has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is learning from and being empowered by Jesus to obey all that Jesus commanded. Why is making disciples important? Because as I said at the beginning, and what Mary pointed out, he's the only one who can turn graves into gardens, right? He's the only one that can give somebody true freedom now and forever in eternity. How do we make disciples that can make disciples? Well, making disciples requires vision, commitment, grace, choosing wisely, and imitation 
and support and challenge. There are so many other things that I could cover on this topic. I've thought of like a handful that I didn't talk about that are extremely critical. And so with three weeks, you just don't, you can't include everything. I feel like this is what God gave to me to give to you for these three weeks. If you have any questions on this stuff at all, I'm always available to talk. An another couple that has just a really great grasp, I believe, on discipleship is Justin and Kylie. They're overseeing our life group ministry. I would encourage you to talk to them. Um, they would be a great resource as well. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that, as Brandon, I know he shared at Demers, but I probably shared here too, that you've entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation. And what, a, what, a, what, what a privilege, what a responsibility. How awesome that we get to join you on this life-changing mission. Ah, so many people are yearning for significance in life. This is where significance is found, in being a disciple to you, Jesus, and then making other disciples in partnership with you. That's how we make our short life, that, that little dash between our birth date and our date of death count. Lord, I pray that we would take your great commission seriously, that it would not be the great omission in our life. I pray that this would not be a certain series that we just move on from and nothing at all changes in our life. I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to reveal to us those that we need to be discipling. And Lord, if we still feel so clueless on how to do that, that is okay. But may we seek out somebody to disciple us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You are so good. Thank you that you turn graves into gardens. It's in your name we pray. Amen.